It is so good to be with each and every one of you. I, I uh, appreciate your patience with me, and I appreciate your attendance. I'm so thankful that you have chosen to come out and to be with us this morning as we gather together to study God's Word, to sing praises to Him, and to worship Him as our one true God. This morning I would encourage you to be taking out your Bibles and opening them up to the book of John. We'll be spending a great deal of time this morning. In fact, we'll be spending most of our time this morning in the book of John and studying from this book. While you turn there, let me ask you, how did you first hear of Jesus? How did you first hear of Jesus? Were you born into a family that was already firmly planted within the Lord, as I imagine some of us possibly were? Um, did you just kind of pick it up through osmosis, being around them? Did someone sit down with you and talk with you uh, about Him and, and about who He is? How thankful are you for whatever the occasion was that you came to first know about Jesus? This morning we're going to spend some time looking at the topic of evangelism. <clears throat> and in, in doing so, we're going to... In doing so, we are going to kind of touch on a subject that's going to be possibly a long-running subject for us this year. We've talked a little bit already about how we're going to make some goals to speak more about evangelism and try to be more evangelistic in our efforts in our everyday lives. In Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> in verse 34, we will begin just by, I'll read this passage for you. This is going to kind of press, uh, set a precedent for the, the studies that we will have on this uh, topic. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Some Bibles, some Bibles put a, a title on this passage, the title that we have on the board, One Gospel for All People. Um, and that's exactly what we're going to try to focus on this year. We're going to try to remember that this gospel that we have, the one gospel that was given to us, is a gospel that we should not hoard up for ourselves, the gospel that we should not just cling to as to, we won't, as to hold it so that we won't share it with anyone else, but it's a gospel that we're to cling to so much that we can't wait to share it with other people and to show them what it is that it, that it does for us, what it means to us, and just really tell people the good news of Jesus his life, his death, his resurrection. And so, 
And so what we are going to do is to carry that idea throughout our studies and, and, and many of our studies this year. Another question I would ask us is, do we take seriously the charge given in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, or Mark 16, verse 15? Are we taking this message just to those who need to hear it? I hope this morning that God's Word will spur in your hearts a, a desire for a greater evangelism in your life. And as we look at evangelism, I think we will notice some important things to remember when we do it. We will notice some things that... that uh, that will make it to where we are not going to overcomplicate the process. And we're going to see that it involves, doesn't have to involve knowing the answer to all the hard and all the difficult and all the scary questions that people might possibly come up with. On the contrary, evangelism is something that is more comparable to a simple conversation around a well. What we're going to be looking at today is evangelizing like Christ. Uh, and if you are in John, look in John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 26. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. <clears throat> Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so, so he came near, or excuse me, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar. To his, uh, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give, give him will become, a, become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When that one comes, He will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So let's get a little bit of backstory first. Before we dive into this passage, let's get a little bit of backstory on what's going on. In John chapter 3, 
we read Jesus and disciples had gone into the land of Judea. They had been previously in Jerusalem, and now it says they've gone into the land of Judea. We're not really told exactly where this is. There's, there's not a, a, a real strong argument for anything, but oftentimes the area of Judea was just that surrounding area of Jerusalem. So it's possibly they were still somewhere near Jerusalem, possibly even Jericho, because we read that they were baptizing, and baptizing even more than John the Baptist and the Pharisees. Or John the Baptist, and then we see the Pharisees were starting to take notice of this. So, just to give us an idea of what's going on, this, this map here might be kind of hard to see. This, this up here is going to be the Sea of Galilee. Down here we have the Dead Sea and the Jordan River running in between. If we put a, a circle around Jerusalem and Jericho, we can imagine that they are somewhere in this area. Again, like I said, we just, it doesn't give us a clear-cut definition of exactly where they are, but we do know where they're going. They're going to this land of Sychar, uh, which is near Shechem, which is up in this area up here in Samaria. And so many Jews along this time, they, they would not have done this. They would have not went through Samaria. They would have crossed over the Jordan River and went up around Samaria and come back on their way to Galilee. But Jesus chooses to go through Samaria, and the distance that he walks, if we see on our scale up here, 20 miles, the distance that he walks from these two locations is going to be roughly 24 to 28, 25 to 30 miles, somewhere in that, in that general area. And that's if they walked a, a, a direct line straight there. So if we get a little bit of history about Samaria and what they are, we'll see that the kingdom of Israel, went back in the Old Testament, it was divided, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom made their capital Samaria. They moved their worship almost immediately from Jerusalem, and they instituted idol worship. This, was the, <clears throat> this became what was known as, um, as, as Israel. Excuse me. Uh, then the Assyrian captivity uh, comes and takes them over, and they intermarried, in, and this led the Jews from the, down in Judah. They st start to view them as dogs. They view them as half-breeds. They treat them as less than, second-class people. And so this is the reason why many of them, when they are going up to Galilee, they're just like, I'm not going to go near that place. I'm not going to go near these people. There was a real racism against them, a real hatred for them. So as we noticed in verse 6, maybe as we were reading along, it said that Jesus was wearied. Maybe we can understand a little bit more why he was wearied. It was such a long journey. If he left from Jerusalem to there, they would have traveled along these hilltops, these mountaintops, roughly uh, about the same elevation, Shechem and Jerusalem. They're about the same elevation. But if he did leave somewhere down closer to the Jericho area, they would have traveled up a very large incline along this way. Jer Jericho is almost 1,200 feet below Jerusalem. It's 700 feet below sea level. And uh, it's, so it's a huge climb along the way there. So we can understand that Jesus is very tired. Now John often focuses on this. He focuses on the humanity of Jesus. And so we would, we would look at this and see, we could understand exactly why he was so weary. weary. They weren't riding chariots. They weren't riding horses. They, Jesus chose a life of... of poverty and so they they didn't have a lot of money to spend on these things so it's very very likely that they just walked this distance and if you are like me when i'm walking on flat ground i can walk a mile in roughly about 30 minutes that's that's not too, too much of a stretch for me to walk a mile in 30 minutes at a, at a pretty leisurely pace 
And so if we just kind of carry that over to their walk of, of 25 to 28 miles, that means it's going to be somewhere around 12 to 14 hours on this journey if they were to walk straight through. And so not only have they made this long journey and walked all this time, but we also see that when they arrive there and they're sitting there, it's the sixth hour of the day. Now, if this was Jewish time, that would mean that this was around noon. If it was Roman time, it would be it was around 6 p.m. Now, many people have tried to argue which, one this, which time this is. I tend to believe that this is, around, this is the Jewish time. The fact is that at around noon, this was a time when the Jews would, would eat. They would go and prepare meals. We see the disciples doing that, going into town to get food to prepare a meal. But also, if we were to turn back to Genesis 24 and verse 11, we would see that women were, it was a, a very normal thing for women to come out at evening together in a group to get water, water for themselves, water for, them family, for their families. This was very common, but yet this woman comes alone. She doesn't come with other people, and as we read and learn more about her, we can understand that maybe she is a little bit of an outcast. Maybe she doesn't want to be around all the other women because of her history and because of the, the lifestyle that she has had. And so I do believe this is possibly the Jewish time, and therefore he is arriving here around noon. So it is very possible if they made a one just a, a one journey there, they didn't stop along the way, that they left sometime around or before midnight the day before, traveled this whole distance, and now Jesus is here at this well around noon, having traveled all day in the heat of the day. He is tired. He is thirsty. He is hungry. And if he's anything like me, he is in the perfect state to say, I don't want to talk and deal with anybody. I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit down right here and relax. But let's notice how he interacts with the woman at the well. And the first thing I think we will notice is that Jesus makes an effort. He makes an effort. You, you know, let's look at ourselves for a second. We may feel our very best. And we sit down for a meal at a restaurant. Our server brings us our drinks. They take our order. And then what's the next thing we do? We thank them, hopefully. But then we go back to just completely ignoring them because we're there to enjoy our meal, right? That's what we're there for, to get a meal and to take care of us. But that's not what Jesus did. We oftentimes make excuses. We oftentimes ignore opportunities. We oftentimes fail to even try to make an effort. And while Jesus was very far from his best, as verse 6 did say, he was wearied at this point. He makes an effort. And Jesus was probably quite a feeble man. We do know from his, from his history that he was a carpenter, and that requires a, a level of physical activity. And, then, and I imagine he was probably more fit than many of us today. But in relationship to his disciples, they had all walked the same journey that he had walked, yet they go into town while he is so wearied he must sit down by the well. He could have used that as an excuse and said, I am weak could have said, I am tired, I'm not, I, I just, I'm not going to take this opportunity, get, just, I'll let her get her water and go on. He could have let society dictate his response. It's a Samaritan. He could have had that as like, no, don't look at it, don't look at it. This is one of those Samaritans, one of those half-breeds over there. And on top of that, worse than just being a Samaritan, it was a female Samaritan. This went against so many social norms of the day. But instead, he does what each and every one of us has the ability to do. You notice if we look through Jesus' life, there are so many things that he does that I can't do. Changing water into wine, walking on water, raising people from the dead. 
But he did, at this point, the one thing that every one of us can do. He simply told someone about himself. You know, when I look at all the amazing abilities God has given us, and I see people like, like the, the Vandy player the other day that makes the full-court basketball shot. Uh, I see people who climb tall mountains, who can run these races and run at amazing speeds. I even see people who can rub their bellies and pat their heads. I look at all these amazing abilities and they go, the one thing God asked me to do was the most basic ability of them all, to speak. There's not a one of us that can't do that. We can all open our mouths and say something, have air move across our vocal cords and words come out. We get really good at that. Speaking is one of the most simplest, most basic abilities we have as humans. And so let's follow Christ's example. Let's follow Christ's example and let's make an effort to simply speak to others. The next thing that I would like to, uh, to point out is that Jesus would go where the fish were. Back in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, he, says that he tells his disciples that he will make them fishers of men. Let me have you consider for a minute a guy who maybe has the biggest and the fastest bass boat. There, there he is. He's spent a lot of money to get this boat, and he's got all the bells and whistles that go with it. He's got the, the, the fish finder things and the, 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 the troller motors and the anchors and all the live wells, and it's just this thing is top-notch. But not only that, he has the best rods and reels. He's really went out and bought some quality um, uh, tools to do his trade and, and even bought an amazing collection of lures and not only, does that, not only does he have the stuff that goes with fishing, but he's got the knowledge too because he studied the habits of fish and he really knows them. In fact, you could almost say he, he thinks like a fish. He can tell you what lure to use for spotted bass in pre-spawn. He could even tell you what to use to catch a trout. Maybe say, you want to catch a trout, you're not going to use a yellow fly. The waters are too muddy. You've got to use this color. And given all of his knowledge and all of his ability to catch fish, he still leaves his boat at home on the trailer. He drops his line in a puddle on the side of the road and complains that nothing is biting. Nothing's biting. I've been here all day. I haven't caught a thing. We could look at that and we go, that is ridiculous. Nobody's going to do that, Kyle. That is just silly. Well, the fact is we are like that a lot of times. We are just like that. We need to ask ourselves, if people aren't coming to Christ... Are we taking Christ to people? Are we getting out where the fish are? Do we look for opportunities to evangelize, possibly in our schooling? Now, I would greatly encourage all of our young ones, when they are around other people, to tell them how much they love Jesus, to tell them how much He loves them. But I'm really talking also to our older members of academia. When people have gathered all around us for the purpose of, lo of learning, is it possible we could take that opportunity to give them something really worthwhile to learn? But what else? What about opportunities at work? This should hit each and every one of us. We have more time is often spent at work than at home. That means that you are around your co-workers more than they are around their own family. It gives you a great opportunity to potentially influence them in a positive way. Are we using it? Are we using those opportunities? Or what about... What about opportunities at home? I think this one should hit each and every one of us. Do we have friends? Do we have neighbors? 
Do we even know who these people are? Have we stopped to take time, as Jesus did, to create opportunities to teach them about Jesus? Are we looking for the, uh, these opportunities, and are we using them? Because that's exactly what He did. He went to where the fish were, and He created an opportunity to speak about Himself. And sometimes we're tempted to say, well, I, I just can't relate. Now, the encourage don't say that. Don't say, well, I'm, I'm too old and these people are too young. Or just the opposite, I'm too young and these people are too old. They'll never be able to understand. We won't be able to relate. Jesus should not have been able to relate. He should not have been able to relate to this Samaritan woman. That went, just was so awkward and backwards to everything at that time, but yet somehow he did. And if Jesus could relate to a Samaritan woman, then so can we. Whether young or old, male or female, rich or poor, we all relate through Christ. He is our Creator of each and every one of us. So don't let Satan tempt us to use that excuse and keep us from going where the fish are. Thirdly, I'd point out that we need to keep it simple. Notice Jesus didn't dive right into to his Sermon on the Mount. Maybe have that one tucked around in his back pocket, just ready to whip that out for whoever's ready to hear it. He didn't go into some really deep parable. No, essentially, he, he just preached Jesus to her. Isn't that what he did? When we look at verse 10, what does he say? He says who he is. I'm the gift of God. He doesn't use it in those words, but he says the gift of uh, in verse chapter t- in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you. That leads up to the next thing. He tells her what he has to offer. Living water. He has to offer life. How many people today get discouraged because they think, well, I can't teach. I, can't, I just can't do that. I can't teach somebody. That's not in my talent. That's not in my repertoire. And then they do nothing. Think about this for a minute. A salesman comes to the door, and he knocks. You answer the door, and, and he says to you, can I tell you about this amazing product that we are selling, a product that I just think is going to change your life? Can I tell you what we have what we have to sell to you today? Or he knocks, you answer the door, and he says, hey, let me tell you about my company and all of our bylaws and tell you everything, that uh, the complete history of where we came from Everything about it, and oh, by the way, we do offer a great gift or a great offer. Which one of these people is most likely to get a door slammed in their face? When you tell someone about Jesus, do just that. Preach Jesus. Tell them who He is. He's the Son of God. What did He do? He became a man, and He lived a life very similar to yours and to mine. He was killed on a cross, but He was resurrected on the third day, and He has gone on to prepare heaven for us. And you know what He can do for you? He can give you life. He can wash away your sins. He can give you a second chance. He can give you hope, even in a hopeless situation. What if we would just start by doing that? Just start by talking about who Jesus is. That took, what, 20 seconds? If that... To just say something about Jesus. Preaching Jesus isn't complicated. Preaching Jesus isn't complicated. But oftentimes we make it complicated when all it simply involves is someone speaking with someone else 
about who Jesus is. Now we understand, back in Matthew 28, we understand that more teaching is going to follow. But we need to remember, we first have to teach people to be disciples. That means we first have to teach people to be followers. That means we first have to tell people who it is they should follow. It is as simple as that. And then the next thing, we should stick to it. We should stick to it. If your purpose is to tell others about Jesus, don't get sidelined by their shortcomings. Again, let's look back to our text. In verse 20, verse 20, the woman tries to turn the attention off of herself. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's trying to get the attention off of herself and, and to place the attention onto where should we worship at. When people get uncomfortable, they will oftentimes do this. It is called in, in the psychological realm, it's called deflection. I'm a, the attention all of a sudden is on me. It's, on, it's, it's making me uncomfortable. So let's talk about something else. Let's steer the conversation over here. But Jesus doesn't allow the conversation to stray off course. Rather, He guides them both back to who He is and to what He offers. Jesus was steadfast. When I was in high school, specifically when I was in in the carpentry program in high school, our teacher one day called us into the classroom, which was kind of a rare thing. We spent most of our time out in in the shop or outdoors working. But He calls us into the classroom and He's, we're, we're going to start learning about demolition. That was what he was going to teach us. And so he starts playing this video of a statue of Saddam Hussein being tore down. It was around that time when, when, when this was going on in the world. And so we watched this video, a short maybe five-minute segment of a video, over and over and over again. And he didn't say a word. He just played the video, wanting us to learn something about demolition. And the one thing we finally noticed was that on one side of the screen was this incredibly strong man. He looked like he was probably right out of the military, huge muscles, had his sledgehammer, and he was just going to town on this statue. And he's hitting it here and here and here, and there are chunks flying off the statue. But on the other side was this little man who just he just was small and so scrawny and was picking that, that sledgehammer up and hitting in the same spot every time. Same spot. And at the end of the video, that statue crumbled on his side. The strong man, you can tell he was wore out. You can see he starts swinging slower. His swings don't have as much power in him. But yet this, this seemingly weak person destroyed, demoed this huge statue by simply being steadfast. Picked something said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit in this spot, and I'm going to keep hitting in this spot. We need to remember that. We need to remember when, that, when we preach people to Jesus, we shouldn't jump ahead. We need to rather find our commonality. Find what's common between us and Jesus. Don't tackle long and deep-seated sin or misunderstandings on day one. Just remember that it is about Jesus and about bringing them to understanding of who He is that we're going to be focusing on. And yes, eventually we will move ahead. But in that time, let's remember when we move ahead, let's remember passages like Proverbs 15 and verse 28. When we move ahead, let's let them move that conversation ahead. Let them bring their questions to us. Proverbs 15 verse 28 says, The heart, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer 
but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. We have to remember, we are trying to lead people to Christ. We are not trying to force people to Christ, trying to indoctrinate them with what we believe, but rather we are told to just guide them, to bring them to Him. And then lastly, I would suggest that when we look at this interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, I would say that we realize that we need to be direct. Jesus was direct with the woman. He says to her in verse in uh, uh, verse 26, he says, I who you speak with am he. He was very direct with her, but this came after he had laid the groundwork. If I was to approach someone maybe today and say, you know, drunkenness, maybe they have a, a problem with alcohol, and I just go, drunkenness is sinful. You need to quit that. You need to turn your life around. You need to be baptized. You need to get your life right or you're going to hell. I'm afraid that many people today would pat me on the back and say, Bravo, you are a bold warrior. You have taken the truth to this person in a way that they can't argue against it. But that's not boldness. That is bullheadedness. That is discouraging and it is most likely not going to bring someone to repentance. It is only going to bring pain. And it's going to bring anger and hatred. So how do we be direct and, and, and help, be helpful? I would suggest that we need, to have, we need to have an objective. Over in Mark chapter 16, in verse 15, we get an, obje- an objective. He says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who disbelieves shall be condemned. Likewise, in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, we read a little bit more about that objective, about the gospel. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. We read, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even, even as it has been doing in, in you, also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. What is our objective? Our objective ought to be to help people understand that there is nothing that can help them like Jesus can. To help them understand that they need Him. And He has a plan for their salvation. And all those things are found in His Gospel. And that's what we will take them to. And that's what we will show them. Maybe we should also ask questions. When we try to help people understand that they have needs in their lives, ask questions that will help them move further along in their understanding. Ask questions like, do you understand what we are talking about? As you talk with someone about Jesus, maybe take a pause and say, is this going completely over your head? Or do you understand what I'm saying? At that point, maybe we could say, hey, can we talk some more in maybe a more private study? Can we spend some more time looking at God's words? Or maybe more important than that, maybe say, have I shown you anything that you can't go to the Bible and put your finger on in Scripture? It is crucial to point out that people and help people understand that it doesn't matter what I say. 
doesn't matter what I tell you. It doesn't matter what I, what I feel and what I strongly believe. And it doesn't matter what you feel and what you strongly believe. It's the Word of God that matters. So have I shown you anything that doesn't correspond with the Word of God? And maybe we could ask the question, do you want to follow Christ right now? Make sure that they know that that opportunity is always available. Back over in John chapter 4, let's continue reading. We'll skip down just a little bit to, chapter, or to verse 39. Verse 39 and verse 42, uh, to verse 42. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking Him to stay with them. And He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of His word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Because of Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman, look at how many people were converted. Who knows the effect you might have by simply opening your mouth and speaking to, to others about Jesus. You know, sometimes we sing a song. And I just, I, I love, I don't think we've ever sang it here. I don't think it's in our songbooks, but the song is called The Apples in the Seed. And it reminds us that we can cut an apple open and we can count the seeds that are in that apple. But we don't have the ability to cut a seed open and see how many apples it will produce one day. If only we would plant it. If only we would do something with it. How often do we take that seed and just stick it in our pocket? Or maybe go home and put it in a treasure chest because we value it so much and don't allow it to work in the way God intended for it to work. Lastly, John chapter 4 and verse 35. I want to ask us, do we see what Jesus saw? He said in verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. We need to follow His example. We need to make His vision our vision. We need to tell someone about Him. I would ask that maybe today you are someone who wants to know more about Him. I would, I would question you of that. John 1 tells us in the beginning, He was with God. In the beginning, He created all things and that nothing was created without Him. That means He created you, He created me, He created everything on this world. But even though He created all of this, He created us, He chose to come to earth and serve man. He chose to serve His creation. In John 19, we read that He was crucified. He was nailed to a cross and He died not because of things that He had done but because of what we had done in our lives. But chapter 20 goes on to tell us that He defeated death and He was raised again. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 goes on to teach us that His death was because, as we said, of our sins. But He lives again. He lives today. And again, it is not for Himself. He lives for you, and He lives for me, so that we can have hope. 
And John 14, verse 6 tells us that He offers us the way, He offers us the truth, and He offers us life. But that way He offers us, excuse me, He offers us the way to being forgiven of our sins. He offers us the truth about God and how He loves us, and He offers us life eternal with Him in heaven. But we need to accept what He has to offer. I would encourage each and every one of us to consider in our own lives, have we accepted what He has to offer? Maybe we have. Maybe we've already made those first steps of accepting that offer, and then we have just failed to tell anybody else about it, about the glory of it. This morning, I would encourage you to step out of your own life for just a moment and to step into the life of another soul another human being, and let's talk about God. Let's talk about these things that we've talked about today, how He has offered us salvation. This morning, I would encourage you, if there's any way in which we can help you, please come forward now and let it be known as we stand and as we sing.